Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walcheff. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. We have a very special episode today. This is a repurposed episode. I was fortunate to get asked to go on the Name Drop San Diego podcast, which is part of the Union Tribune Network. That's our local paper here in San Diego. Abby Hamblin and Christy Toten did a phenomenal job asking me questions about ghost kitchens, about why we're a barbecue media company, about our potential Bulgarian barbecue concept that we might open up. Um, but thank you guys for listening to the show. Grateful if you're a first time listener, welcome. Um, if you're a long time listener, we couldn't appreciate you anymore. We're closing in on 100 episodes of Digital Hospitality. Shout out to Stover and Ian and Toby on our digital hospitality team. Every single Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time, we do a digital hospitality clubhouse room. So if you're not on the app clubhouse, please get on the app clubhouse. Uh, you can follow me at Sean P. Walchef, um, but please join the conversation. You can jump into the room and then ask questions about the podcast, ask questions about the guests, anything that you have regarding smartphone storytelling. Uh, we're here to help. And uh, if you want to know anything more about our coaching program, please hit me up at Sean P. Walchef or Sean at CaliBBQ.media. Enjoy the show. Hello, listeners. I'm excited to share this episode with you because it's all about barbecue, which I love, and restaurants and digital innovation, which have been some of the biggest stories of the pandemic. I'm Abby Hamblin here with my co-host, Christy Totten, and this is Name Drop San Diego. Each Tuesday, we bring you interesting conversations with people from or living in San Diego. On this episode, you'll hear from Sean Walshef. He's the owner of Cali Comfort Barbecue and a San Diego native. And his restaurant has been a staple in Spring Valley for many years and just opened up as part of a new ghost kitchen called the Barrio Food Hub in Barrio Logan. The way a ghost kitchen works, or as Sean calls this one, a friendly ghost kitchen, is that multiple different restaurants have kitchens all in one building and it's basically a headquarters for people to order food but there's no sit-down restaurant aspect of it it's all about online ordering and delivery sean knows all about digital innovation and has made it an essential part of cali comfort barbecue he also has a podcast called digital hospitality where he and other industry leaders share their expertise in digital marketing and other wisdom in running a business in today's digital world here's our conversation with sean walsha Okay, uh, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Our, our first question is just, how did you fall in love with barbecue? Great question. Uh, you know, having grown up in San Diego, I was fortunate that my my grandfather, who's Bulgarian, he, he raised me. I never met my father, but I was raised by my Bulgarian grandfather and my Japanese grandmother and lived a, a life of privilege in, in the city of San Diego, you know, grew up in La Jolla. And the last thing I ever thought was number one, that I'd be in the restaurant business, but number two, that if it was the restaurant business, I would be doing barbecue. Um, but, you know, as a matter of circumstance, um, a matter of this is kind of the way that my life has happened and unfolded was, you know, I found myself in the same restaurant that I grew up busting tables and washing dishes. And there was an opportunity later on after I got rejected from all three law schools in San Diego to take over that restaurant with uh, one of my best friends from college, Corey Robinson, someone that I met that also had a history of working in restaurants. Neither one of us thought we would get into the restaurant business, but um, there was an opportunity in Spring Valley, you know, an underserved part of San Diego to take over an existing liquor license. And it was an, a great breakfast business. And we thought if we took this liquor license and we brought, 
a great sports entertainment destination. We could do something unique and different in East County, San Diego. And that's what we tried to do. Um, we didn't know anything about barbecue at that time. Barbecue came about because of our love of giving back and our love of youth sports. So we both grew up, like I said, in privileged lives. He grew up in Aspen. I grew up in La Jolla, um, but we had access to sports. Uh, we had access to uniforms. We had access to coaches. Um, and it was something that we both felt passionate about that. If there were kids that couldn't play sports, if they couldn't afford uniforms, maybe we should do things to help give back. So we were always doing things for Little League doing things for Pop Warner, um, doing things for soccer teams, you know, out in East County. And once we started doing so many of those things, we realized like maybe we should focus our attention on one event. You know, let's do an annual community event and dedicate all of our resources and also ask for help, ask for some other businesses to help us do something cool and unique. And at that meeting, you know, with the coaches, with people from our team, with my, Eric, my general manager, Corey, we threw around ideas and the best idea was let's do an amateur barbecue contest. Well, that's great, but nobody who knows how to put on an amateur barbecue contest. <laughs> I certainly didn't. Um, but I went to where we all go now and that's, I went to Google and I just, you know, Googled how to put on an amateur barbecue contest. And it led me to Kansas city barbecue society, which essentially is the NFL of professional barbecue. It's the sanctioning body that helps people put on professional contests, get them involved as judges, get them involved as competitors. And they gave me three names. One of the names was Gene Goikachea, who's a local barbecue legend in his own right. Um, he reached out. Diego? He said, yes, he's here in San Diego. Yeah, Imperial Beach. And um, he came out to the restaurant. He said, you know, if you're doing it for kids, if you're doing it for charity, I'd love to teach you how to put on an amateur barbecue contest. And, you know, that was back in 2009. Successfully, we put on our first amateur barbecue contest, raised money for um, some local youth sports teams. And at that point, he said, you know, if you want to do barbecue the right way, I'll teach you. Um, I'll teach you everything that I've learned on the professional tour. Uh, and I'll lease you my barbecue pits, which are old hickory pits. And we said, you know, we had a menu that was all over the place. We said, yes, let's let's do it. Let's go all in on craft barbecue. Amazing. I mean, it definitely sounds like you're where you need to be, but I have to ask, like, um, what kind of law did you want to study? <laughs> I think I've always been fascinated with sports entertainment. So some, some sort of sports entertainment law. Um, that's, that's kind of my, my playground, the things that I, I love to do. And I've successfully found a way to incorporate sports entertainment into our barbecue uh, and media business. Very cool. Well, we're glad you're doing barbecue. <laughs> yeah. So that's really interesting that you kind of had a person to guide you into barbecue who was kind of like a San Diego legend, but like growing up in, when you were growing up here in La Jolla and um, all across San Diego, did you feel like there was really a barbecue scene or did you eat it growing up or um, was there like an apparent style or what was kind of your more early um, understanding of San Diego barbecue? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I think the, the thing that's always tied barbecue together for me is tailgating. Um, you know, I'm a Chargers season ticket holder and I grew up going to Chargers games, Padres games at Jack Murphy and then Qualcomm and barbecuing was grilling, you know, barbecuing was cooking carne asadas, cooking fish tacos in the parking lot. And for me, that's, that was my association to barbecue. I also, like I said, my grandfather was Bulgarian, so they have a certain way to cook with fire. They cook kufteta, which are Bulgarian hamburgers, um, which are 
ground pork as well as ground beef, Bulgarian spices, onions, and they're basically made into small mini meatballs. But that was my introduction to what barbecue was. There certainly was no brisket in my life and no <laughs> ribs that were smoked for six hours. That that came that, that was all Gene's uh, Gene's teachings. That sounds pretty good. I would like to try that. <laughs> Do you have that at your restaurant? Not yet. My wife is uh, my wife, and there's a good, strong Bulgarian community in San Diego that is clamoring for us to open up a, a Bulgarian concept. Uh, there's a very successful one in Las Vegas that a lot of people make the trip out to Vegas just to go to this Bulgarian restaurant. So maybe one day in the future, you, you heard it here. You heard it here first. <laughs> An exclusive coming soon. Yes. Um, so now where it kind of stands, obviously you have your restaurant, but if if you were to look at kind of the whole map of the US and the way there's that, you know, competitiveness between the regions and the different sauces and styles, how would you say, um, like, does Southern California have its own brand of barbecue or is it the state of California? And then where does that kind of match up on the whole scale of competition? Yeah. So one of the things that we decided early on was that we were never going to make the best barbecue. Um, for us, we wanted to make great barbecue and we wanted to make barbecue that was unique to who we were, which is we're Cali barbecue. We wanted to make sure that we had tri-tip on the menu. That's something that is distinctly, you know, very California uh, meat, very Santa Maria styles, how people smoke it. But what we wanted to do was also understand that, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. And for us, you know, early on that first year putting on that amateur barbecue contest, I needed help. So I reached out to Derek Marceau, who owns Valley Farm Market, um, the local butcher shop. They just opened up their second location in La Jolla, but I needed help to help sponsor this event and said, you know, would you be willing to donate the meats? And he was more than willing to donate the meats. He went all in. And then, you know, now we've run this event for 10 years. You know, we've put on an amateur barbecue contest, longest running amateur barbecue contest in California. We do a professional barbecue contest at the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club. We've done that for four years. Um, but along the way, what we decided was how can we promote the growth of barbecue? Coop's West Texas Barbecue, Brad, Brad, Brad Cooper, he's less than a mile from us. We wanted to celebrate the work that he was doing because he's a West Texas style barbecue. And back to your question of what is San Diego barbecue? What is California barbecue? It's really who we are as people. We're transplants. You know, we come from all different walks of life, all different places. And we take the things that we love, that take the things that we adore, we make them our own, we put our own spin on it, and then we celebrate that. So, you know, we've always had a, a huge admiration for what the craft beer industry has done in San Diego, collaborating with one another, celebrating each other, brewmasters, sharing secrets, um, going to events, building each other up and building this incredible world-renowned community of people sharing ideas where it wasn't a competition. It's not Pepsi versus Coke, you know, we're going to try to undercut each other. We're the best. You're the best. This is the worst. No, it's every single barbecue is different and unique. And the more that we've leaned into that, the better it's been, not just for us, but we want to bring some inclusivity, you know, bringing an amateur barbecue event allows people that love cooking in their backyard that think, Hey, maybe one day I want to compete in a professional event. Well, this is the first stepping stone. Now I don't have to go and spend, you know, $3,000, $5,000 to invest in all this equipment. I can actually just come out on a weekend and compete. And that gives people a, a leg in. It allows them to explore their craft. Very cool. 
I'm sorry, guys. I didn't realize I was muted. I, I thanked you, Sean, for breaking that Bulgarian news on the show. <laughs> I was like, I was like talking to you guys. I was like, why aren't they, why aren't they responding? To I know me? it seemed well, very the, quiet. The, anyway, I muted and then I just forgot I had muted. So, um, yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Of course, and, the tough, the tough part about it is the Bulgarians will hold me to it. <laughs> yes. Well, I was gonna say I just moved here from Las Vegas. What is the Bulgarian restaurant in Vegas? You know, I wish I could tell you because I, I haven't been myself, but my wife, um, we have friends that just actually least really recently just got back from Vegas and you know they've been multiple times they can't stop talking about it. I don't have the name but um nonetheless we we will make our mecca to this Bulgarian restaurant <laughs> definitely awesome. and bring one here um well I wanted to ask you about digital hospitality it's something that I've read uh, you know you credit uh with like, for helping you through the pandemic your business through the pandemic first of all what does digital hospitality mean and then yeah how has it helped you I appreciate the question yeah so our our podcast, we do a weekly podcast called Digital Hospitality, and we wanted to call it that because what we've realized kind of in our 13 years in being in business, failing, doing a lot of things wrong, doing all different types of marketing, learning social media, learning digital media, learning how to run our website, we've learned how important the internet is. We've learned how important the smartphone is, how important content creation is. And we know that all business, no matter what business you're in, needs to be digital. So you have to be digital, no matter what business you're in. And, you know, we talk to a lot of restaurant owners, bar owners, breweries, um, but it's not just our industry. It's not just the hospitality industry. It's all industries. You know, you guys are, uh, you know, the Union Tribune and you're putting on a podcast. This is an audio podcast. We're doing audio storytelling. It's so important now in this day and age to be where people are and people are on their phones. People are on these different apps and more importantly, everybody needs to be in the hospitality business. So one of the big things that people get scared about with technology is that it's going to replace jobs. And the story that I like to tell the most is when we started as a restaurant, we're in a very you know, unique part of town, an eclectic part of town, and our restaurants laid out in a way that when you arrive, you don't realize how big the restaurant is. And Sometimes when you arrive, if there's not somebody at the front of the restaurant, you don't feel welcome. And early on, what we decided, there's a sign that says, please wait to be seated and please seat yourself. You've probably seen it when you walked into a restaurant. And that essentially is a hospitality hack. What a restaurant operator does is they put that sign up there so they don't have to pay for labor to be there, for someone to be there to welcome someone. So in between the lunch period and the dinner period, you would essentially put this sign up and allow somebody to seat themselves. When you walk into the restaurant and you see this sign, you get excited because, you know, you feel like it's like, oh, I have permission to sit anywhere I want. But we all know once you go and sit wherever you want, you never get good service. You never get good hospitality. So what we decided early on was we're going to invest in hospitality. We're going to pay to always have a hospitality host at the front of our restaurant at all hours of the day. It didn't matter if it was busy. It didn't matter if it was non-peak hours, we're going to always have someone there to answer the phone, someone to welcome people when they came in, someone to thank people when they left. And it was one of the greatest investments that we made because it allowed us to create memorable moments. It allowed us to invest in hospitality, to start getting, you know, instead of a three-star review, a four-star review, a five-star review, starting to get people to share on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, the great experiences that they had at our barbecue restaurant. And more importantly, we decided well, what if we do that online as well? So instead of automating responses, what if we actually responded to people 
every time they wrote a Yelp review, whether it was good or bad? What if we responded every time somebody sent us a Google message? What if we responded to every email that we got, not in 48 hours, but you know, within that same day period, within that same shift? And that was something that has been game changing for us. And that's basically what we do every week is trying to find people that are playing the game within the game. So people that are really investing, that are doing something different and unique. Sam, the cooking guy, he's local here. Everyone knows who he is. Um, he's one of my mentors, you know, watching the brand that he's been able to create through legacy media, through TV, but then being able to adapt that to YouTube, to now to Instagram, to do all these different things, open up all these different restaurants, you know, bring out knives, to do all different kinds of things. He's doing that essentially through digital hospitality. You know, the way that he runs his restaurants, the way that he runs his online brand, it's all about storytelling. So um, that's essentially what our, our digital hospitality thesis is. Yeah, it's been interesting to see the things that have been like the QR code is a perfect example. You've seen so many restaurants immediately shift to that for the touch. Uh, so you don't have to touch a menu. Um, but what are some of the things that Cali Comfort does? Um, I, I guess maybe you don't want to give away everything, but you know, what's an example of the way that you you're focused on digital and presenting yourself online? I mean, I think one of the most important things is actually we, we do share everything. And I think that's what makes us different and unique is that we know that it's not about us. It's so much bigger than us. And if we're willing to share the new technology um, that we're bringing into our restaurant, that we can help empower other restaurants to do the same thing. You know, during the pandemic, we've become three times more profitable as a digital first restaurant than we ever were as a full service restaurant and sports bar. Um, it was the first time that we opened a second location, which is our Barrio Logan ghost kitchen location. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a bit, but oh, we have a we question about that. We have multiple. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually the next question. Good yeah. timing. Perfect. Yeah. So jump well, right in. But, so one of the things, you know, so what we understood during the pandemic, pandemic is a lot of people talk about the pandemic and making a pivot, you know, pivoting to investing in digital, investing in social media, content creation. Like we already knew that that stuff made us who we were. It was in our DNA. I mean, we've been putting on a podcast since 2017. Uh, we know how important digital storytelling is, content creation and, and interacting with people and building community online as much as we do in real life. Um, but one of the most important things for us was understanding how can we create content that's not just valuable to us, but it's valuable to our restaurant partners and it's valuable to another restaurant owner. So most people, when they think about social media, it's like, well, I need to put a picture of ribs so that people feel like they're hungry and then they come to eat ribs at Cali Comfort. Well, that makes Which us just work. like, it does work. It does work. <laughs> yes, it does work. But that, that also makes us like every other post that's on right. Instagram, that's on Facebook. We all see those posts. But what if we started creating different content that was educational? So this educational content about why does Eric Olofsson, my general manager and I, why are we going to unbox our toast point of sale system equipment? We've been with Aloha point of sale for 13 years. We're switching to toast, which is going to enable us to do all this incredible tools for mobile ordering, for QR code ordering, basically to help us live our digital hospitality thesis. What if we make a video for YouTube and describe all the pain points, the things that we were worried about with switching, but also the things that we were going to add the same way that my son 
you know, he's going to turn four this summer. He watches kids on YouTube unbox Hot Wheels and monster trucks. Like literally these kids have 50 million subscribers and all they're doing is unboxing toys. But don't understand it. Christy and I talk about this (laughs) often. It's so funny. Go outside. Yes, yes. But, But it gets, once you understand the joy of somebody that works in the company for that monster truck, like I'll give you the toast point of sale example, you know, this company has 1600 employees um, and that's during the pandemic. So they had more pre pandemic, but when we make that video of our joy in unboxing this hardware, it's also software, but we explain all these different points. So many different people in that company had to work so hard to make that piece of content that when they see it on LinkedIn, they're more compelled to go, oh my gosh, look Mm -hmm. at what, like, this is the end result of all of our hard work. We're not creating this content. This is another restaurant owner creating this content and it becomes that much more powerful. And, you know, that's the story that we try to tell every single week on the podcast is it doesn't matter what business you're in. You have vendor partners, you have charities that you work with, you know, every single business, you're already telling these stories the smartphone allows you just to document it and publish it. You know, there's no middleman anymore. You can publish the content and everyone's worried about it. Well, I want to have, you know, this viral video and it just doesn't work like that. You have to, you have to invest in the daily skill set of documenting it and publishing. For sure. And it's also helpful just as, you know, an outsider who might be considering it to have that tutorial, you know, what's yeah. there, how does it work? Yep. Um, well, let's talk about the Barrio Food Hub. So for people who aren't familiar, it's a ghost kitchen, meaning that it's a lot of restaurant kitchens in a building, but no front of staff, no dining room. It's all delivery and pickup. Um, it is a really interesting concept that I only recently became aware of. How, how is it working out for you? So we're very, very excited about the ghost kitchen opportunity. And what we call it is we call our expansion into friendly ghost kitchens. So the the fear that I have with ghost kitchens is that it's going to be kind of this gold rush for restaurant brands, multi-unit concepts to go in and to serve food to third-party markets. You know, there's a lot of people now that are ordering on their phones, they're ordering on Uber Eats, they're ordering on Grubhub, they're ordering on DoorDash. So there's a huge market and a huge demand for people getting food how they want it. You know, no longer can we discriminate having somebody that wants a great barbecue to have to drive, you know, a half hour from Escondido down to Cali Comfort on a Sunday on an NFL Sunday, wait an hour in line to get a table because, you know, the Chargers are playing the Raiders and then maybe not have brisket because maybe we're sold out. Like we have to be better than that. And our whole goal with a friendly ghost kitchen is to describe the story, to let people know this is the heart of who we are. This is the brand. If you want to see the ribs getting smoked, you can go to our Instagram page. You can go to our Twitter feed. Like this is all smoke today. Once we're out, we're out. But now we can bring that to another location and service an entire part of San Diego that we weren't able to service before. So, you know, Barrio Logan's just an incredible community that connects us to uh, downtown San Diego, to National City, to you know the community in Barrio Logan, to the Navy base, to NASCO. I mean, so many amazing people that now they don't have to drive to Spring Valley to enjoy our brisket. They can literally go on their phone and order through Uber Eats and get it in 20 minutes delivered you know, to their office building or to their place of work. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard the criticism out there about cloud kitchens, you know, collecting data from restaurants and possibly copying their business plan. Is, is that something that you're worried about? 
<laughs> no, definitely not. We share our business plan online to anybody that will listen. Mm. The more that we share our our, um, our information with other people, the more that we attract people that are like-minded, that are trying to do things that are different and unique. I mean, we're publishing our master smokehouse plan online. We're asking other you know, barbecue restaurant owners that we've met through podcasting, through National Barbecue Association, Kansas City Barbecue Association, you know, how do we build a, a master smokehouse? You know, how are we supposed to, how should we set up these smokers? We want to publish this information because we know that this is a great opportunity for them in their market. You know, we don't have to be the ones to go to Chicago to build the master smokehouse. I already have a friend in Chicago that has barbecue restaurants there. If we do it successfully and then he does it, we can share ideas and he can build a master smokehouse with 10 ghost kitchen locations and expand and do something different and unique in a way that's never been done. Yeah, that's super cool. I love that spirit of um, sharing. Okay. So we have a lightning round for you, which is just a bunch of random off the wall questions. <laughs> is that cool? Great. Absolutely. Okay. Obviously the first one has to be, what's your favorite barbecue? My favorite type of barbecue or favorite barbecue meat? I guess place. You were mentioning favorite. Chicago. We've talked about Kansas city. Can you do that? Is it too hard to choose? Sure. No, Kansas city by far. Okay. Yeah. Q Ooh. Q39 in Kansas city. They're a competition barbecue team. That's gotten into the full service restaurant business and um, I had the the owner um, on one of my podcasts, and he's just phenomenal. What they're doing um, for craft barbecue in Kansas City is is very impressive. Wow, never heard of that. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, shout out Kansas City. Christy yes. and I have both spent a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favorite style of barbecue sauce? Like, not what you have at your restaurant, but like if you're gonna sit down and eat, what kind of sauce? You know, vinegary. Like, what's what's your go to sauce choice? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm less of a sauce guy. I'm more of a meat oh. guy, more of a meat and dry rub guy. So I, we, we serve sauce on the side. We like to let people taste the smoke, taste the flavor, taste the meat. Um, the smoke sauce, obviously we love our sauce, but we're, uh, we're a little bit more dry. It's a very answer. purist answer. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Uh, what are some of your favorite podcasts? favorite podcast. Oh, that's great. Uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast by far. It's one of the reasons I started, um, Mm. our podcast, um, Gary Vaynerchuk, David Meltzer, um, Ariana Huffington, uh, Dave and Jeff local, um, sports podcast that I'm a huge fan of and, um, entree leadership, entree leadership is a great, great podcast. Okay. Obviously uh, I love your podcast. This is a phenomenal uh, podcast. You guys, you guys have been doing great work. You have the, the, the diversity and stories of people in San Diego, I think it's so important to, um, to give people voices. I just heard the Tommy Gomes uh, podcast and it was phenomenal. You guys did great work. And Jim yeah. Trotter is obviously a close friend of mine. So yeah, we saw him on your pod too. Very cool. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. No, thank you for saying that. But you know, what makes it easy is that there's so many amazing people here, as you know, yes. you know, so highlighting those stories is awesome. Okay, here's a uh, another food question. Is it wrong to flip a steak more than once on a grill? No. Thank you. I feel very validated. <laughs> you know, there's a lot the of guys only- that are like, you can only flip it once. I'm like, that's wrong. I can cook a steak well and I flip it more than once. So uh, one of the things I love about Sam, the cooking guy, is he, his, his philosophy is the only thing that's wrong is that you're not cooking. There you go. 
So, you know, in order to have a happy marriage, in order to have a happy marriage, you both need to be in the kitchen. And it's something I, I think about often because I'm, I'm definitely not the chef, even though it's, you know, I own a barbecue restaurant and we barbecue and grill. We have a trigger grill. We have a Weber grill. We have a big green egg. Um, But, you know, with two small kids, we, we also spend time on Uber Eats and DoorDash too. So (laughs) Well, I have to tell you a story that inspired this question. A, f- a friend uh, of a friend took a girl out to on a date to the turf club and didn't want to see her for a second date because she flipped the steak too much. And I'm like, dude, it sounds like you did her a favor. You did her a favor. Yeah. Like you're, I mean, I, I have some words for wow. it. But anyway, I was like, good, that is good. funny. Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Okay. What, uh, what are some of your favorite places in San Diego? Like if you have friends come into town to visit, where do you like to take them? Um, Quatris Milpas for sure. in Barrio yeah. Logan. Um, it's one of the, the greatest places. Um, there's another restaurant, uh, called Ichiban in PB, which is a comfort Japanese restaurant. It's mm-hmm. not going to make any list, but it's a place that, um, my grandmother and my grandfather, we would spend many, many times Mandarin house, um, who, which is no longer operating. Hopefully that gets back up and running. Um, I love, uh, I love what Jeff Fenster has done with, um, with Everbowl. It's an incredible place. Hans and Harry's Bakery, another um, San Diego incredible place for uh, a strudel, a fruit strudel. Wow. Nice. You just gave me like homework. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then of course, Kaiser Hof, which is uh, the, the place I go for bratwurst. Mm. You must have like the best house parties with all of this, like understanding of the food scene in town. And also your like three or four grills you mentioned at your house. Um, I'll, what I'll is be your... honest. We, we're, we're very good at throwing parties. That's, that's awesome. kind of in my DNA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, actually on that note, I actually have a question because if you can't tailgate at chargers games, like where do you, do you still tailgate? Like, do you go to, well, you do, if you have season tickets, you go up to LA, but in San Diego, do you tailgate mm-hmm. at Padres games or like well, state not, games? I mean, not or... during, yeah. We haven't during the pandemic. We have friends that, um, that <laughs> I'm actually on my way, uh, the day that we're recording this podcast, I'm, I'm going to do a tour of the, not a tour, but at least a pitch from San Diego state and their new stadium experience to see if, uh, if we can find a deal to get Cali barbecue in there. So I'll, I'll let Ooh. you know how that goes. Wow. Very Gosh, cool. So many yeah, exclusives I today. Yeah. I know. Hope Dropping it works out. News. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, what is your most prized possession? Yes. Uh, most prized possession. The, can I, can I say my children? Is that, no, no, that's wonderful. (laughs) I mean, yes, you can. That's wonderful. (laughs) We're like, no, you can't like an item. Yeah. My iPhone easy. (laughs) Okay. My iPhone, my iPhone connects me to the whole world. My iPhone connects me when my, when my wife and my kids, they're going to Bulgaria in the next two weeks. Um, they'll be there for a month before I join them. Uh, I'll be able to see them every single day and HD and do it over, Skype and have it a free call. It's, you know, they'll be in the village and I'll be here in, in East Lake. And that's, it, it wouldn't happen without that iPhone. That's a really good advice. Or that's a really good answer. Like a lot of times people say, um, we take know, it for granted. We, we take do, technology sure, for granted. We do totally yeah. carrying around like a, a pocket computer. It's easy yeah. to focus on all the bad things that come with Facebook and come with the internet. And it's, we, we have to remind ourselves how incredible this technology. I mean, I get frustrated when my Bluetooth doesn't kick in when I get into my truck you know, for a call. <laughs> but then, you, then we think about dial-up, right? Yeah, it's like, seriously, <laughs> yeah, am I seriously back upset phones? about this? Yeah, oh exactly. Um, what is the best advice you've ever gotten? Uh, my grandfather, he, he taught me 
stay curious, get involved and ask for help. Ooh, I love that. It's a good one. What was your favorite toy as a kid? My favorite toy as a kid, a basketball. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, do you have pets? I have a dog. I have a King Charles Cavalier. He's um, almost as old as the restaurant. He's, wow. he's a trooper and uh, I have bad news for him. He has to last forever because my daughter absolutely adores him. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And final question. What is your dream vacation? Uh, dream vacation. I'm actually going to be going on. I'm, dream vacation is always spending time with the family um, back in Bulgaria. My grandfather was Bulgarian. Um, he was born in a village and he was born to be a farmer. It was because of his love of curiosity that enabled him to read every single book in his village. He read every book in that library. He had to travel to other villages to read their books. And, you know, I just got fortunate that I met my Bulgarian bride here in San Diego. She was studying um, English over here with some of her friends. And uh, now I have a beautiful Bulgarian bride and I have children that are more Bulgarian than I am. <laughs> so awesome. going on vacation with them and going back to the motherland, uh, that's the dream vacation. Very cool. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we've heard in the news lately about, you know, eating less red meat is good for, you know, the, the climate, the, the planet to lower our carbon footprint, slow global warming, stuff like that. Um, as somebody who likes meat, obviously sells meat. I mean, like, what do you make of, of that? Uh, you know, I, I think for us, it's important to be responsible with everything that we do, you know, as a business, as a leader, as a husband, as a father, you know, one of the things that we're focused on is our environmental impact that we're making with our to-go packaging. We know that we can be better. So we're working on ways to be better. We're working on ways to investigate, you know, about red meat, about vegetables, things that we can add to our, our, men, our menu items to, to be healthier. Um, but, you know, honestly, I think it's just, for, uh, for us, the most important thing that we do is every single day that we remain curious. If we're not curious, if we're not continuing to learn, continuing to evolve, continuing to adapt, then, you know, we won't be in business and um, we plan on being in business for a long time to come. I'm curious, like, I don't know if it's even okay to ask a restaurateur this question, but if you had somebody coming in your front door at Cali Comfort and they were only going to eat there one time in their whole life, or that was, what's what, that's what they thought going in and you want to get them to come back. What do you serve them or what do you recommend on your menu? It's easy. That's, that's why we made the menu item. It's the tailgater. Oh, okay. So we made a tailgater barbecue feast, which is most barbecue restaurants. What we found was they would have a combo platter or, you know, their, all you, all, their, their big meal and the big meal would always exclude the most expensive meat, which are typically the ribs and the brisket. Yeah. Um, so they would be an extra upcharge. What we decided is let's make a platter that can feed three to five people and we'll put every single meat that we have on there, every side that we have on there. And, um, it's been the most successful thing that we have because you get to try ribs, you get to try brisket, you get to try rib tips, you get to try pulled pork, you get to try tri-tip, wedding beans, mac and cheese, potato salad, coleslaw, um, jalapeno cheddar cornbread. You know, if there's, if there's something, if you can't find something that you yeah. like in there, then maybe we're not your right restaurant. I'm like, check, check. I'll take one of those. Take one of those. <laughs> yes. I'll eat that. Yes. I'll eat that. Everything on the list. Something that strikes me about you is like, you're, you're so generous, you know, and you're so thoughtful. It seems like in your life and obviously in your business, like, where did that come from? Is that a lesson, you know, you've, and it, it served you, you know, you've done well. And I, I suspect that's a, a, a big part of it, you know, sharing your business plan. 
you know, just wanting to give back. Is, is that something that you've always had or, or did you have to learn it along the way? I mean, I think, you know, growing up, not knowing my, not knowing my father and getting raised by my Bulgarian grandfather and Japanese grandmother, they, they taught me so many things and they gave me a life of privilege. You know, I went to the Bishop's school. I was part of a class of hundred kids graduating. And, you know, so many of those kids that are close friends of mine are very, very successful in whatever profession they chose. And, you know, for me, I just, I had a different perspective, you know, even, even though I was, you know, living this life of privilege, you know, when, when I was 13, my grandfather and grandmother said, we're going on the weekends to drive to Spring Valley to wash, wash dishes and bus tables, and you're going to learn the value of work. Um, but it's not only the value of work, it's also understanding like my grandfather, I helped him write his life story, um, which took us three years to do and watching him do that and him, you know, attending writers conferences at San Diego State and all these different things that we did to help get this book made really helped me understand, you know, the next chapter of my life, the, the further chapters of what, what is legacy, you know, you can create wealth and you can have an amazing impact with business, but what, you know, ultimately what's the legacy, what's the gift that you're going to leave your children. And the gift that he gave me is back to what I said. It's, you know, it's, it's curiosity. It's endless curiosity. It's getting involved. You know, you can be curious, but if you don't do something with that information, nothing's going to happen. And then finally, it's asking for help, you know, that humility, being able to know that even though you think you're, you know what you're doing in barbecue, or you think you know what you're doing in hospitality, or you think you know what you're doing in podcasting, somebody's probably doing it better. Ask them questions. You know, it's never been an easier time to reach out to people and to go on LinkedIn and send them a message and say that you admire the work that they're doing. Can you, you know, answer a couple of questions for me? Mm. What, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? I, th I think one of the most important things for me is just empowering other people to, to understand that their, their business can become a media company. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's understanding that digital storytelling, you know, understanding that I spent so much time with my grandfather learning how to write his book. My grandfather was always tech forward. So he was always trying to find voice enabled. You know, this is back in 2000, 2002, basically from 2000 to 2004, we wrote his book. And at that time he was looking for software that would allow him to not have to type out his book. He wanted audio transcription software, which literally now we use for our podcast to help us write our show notes and help us write our story. But so many people have a story. You know, they have a story and just they don't know how easy it is, how much we're building on the backs of giants, understanding that, you know, if you have a, a mom, a grandmother that has lived an incredible life, you can document that now with your iPhone. You can literally sit there, have a conversation, have a video conversation, an audio conversation that, you know, when you have kids or you have grandkids that you can preserve legacy. So the more that I can teach that, I think... Um, that's something that I, I really care deeply about.